Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate your uh, prayers and your support, and I hope you had a wonderful weekend. Um, We're going to talk about a brand new book out uh, called And Then the End Will Come in uh, just a few minutes when we introduce a first-time guest to Stand Up for the Truth. Uh, But first, let's go to the Lord right after we share this scripture, Psalm 90. Verses 2 and 4 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I share that because it's been uh, kind of a challenge for me personally uh, recently with trials and spiritual warfare, and I need to be reminded of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness and that he loves us no matter what we're going through. That doesn't change the truth. Our circumstances don't change the truth and the hope that we have. Um, And maybe you needed to hear that this morning, too, before we kick off (laughs) uh, some more podcasts because of some of the topics we do cover from time to time. It can be pretty overwhelming with what's going on in our country. Got an email from a friend who started reading my book. He got 78 pages in, and he said, I don't know, I'm not sure what chapter that was. And he says, I just couldn't keep going. I had to take a break, and I'm just just feeling beat up by everything in the world. So um, fair warning, this is what we have to do. We have to get our perspective back to eternally with God and understanding uh, his care and his wisdom and just keep on praying, friends, and keep standing strong. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you for giving us another day to, to love you, to serve you, to hopefully uh, hopefully lead people to the truth of Jesus Christ. Use our lives, God. Use our words. Use our deeds, our influence, our sphere of influence, whether that be family, friends, neighbors. Use our social media posts. Use our interactions with people and make us sensitive to your Holy Spirit, Father, in Jesus' name. Help us to be about your business And remind us, Lord, as often as we need reminders, why we are here. And we trust you in all things. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the Holy Spirit and for giving us everything we need for life and for godliness. Increase our faith, Lord God. I believe we are going to need it. And as always, Father, give us wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we have to uh, just—I want to share this brief update here— Guys, I really need your help, and I know I hate to be redundant, but um, uh, I've noticed an interview I did last week with Heidi St. John. I just tried to simply post it on a couple Facebook pages, and um, nobody's seeing it. I'm okay, not nobody. One person liked it (laughs) on one page, and I think four people did like it on the other. So I think there are a few people that are seeing it, but between 10,000 and I don't know how many other thousands of people that— uh, like the page or follow, supposedly follow you on Facebook, you would think that there would be more than that. So we are being censored, shadow banned. It's it's frustrating, so I'm trying to be creative and find new ways of getting the information out there. So if you could find that interview with Heidi St. John, the busy mom, check that out. I, if you can get to my Facebook page, otherwise just go to HeidiStJohn.com and click on podcasts 
And uh, please share it. Please listen. Please share. But thank you guys so much for your support. It's because of you that uh, we even get this message out. So I want to bring in a brand new guest today. And um, so thankful to have Douglas Cobb with us. He serves as the managing partner of the Finishing Fund, a partnership of kingdom investors who are giving together to accelerate the completion of the Great Commission. Now, the fund's mission is to see Jesus' command to make disciples of every nation fulfilled by the end of 2022. Now he's got a brand new book out, and it's already claimed number one spots on several Amazon bestseller charts. Just came out in April. It's called, And Then the End Will Come, The Completion of the Great Commission and Nine Other Biblical Clues that Jesus is Returning Soon. Doug Cobb, welcome to Stand Up for the Truth. David, it's great to be with you today. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thanks for being available, brother. Um, let's get right down to it. So you could have written a book on, on almost any topic, and I know your heart is about the gospel and evangelism, but at this particular time in our history, what led you to write this one? Well, you know, as you mentioned, I, I, my, my primary ministry activity these days is leading this partnership called the Finishing Fund. It's a partnership of now more than 100 um, donors from across the country who have come together around this mission of literally seeing Jesus' command to make disciples of all nations fulfilled. Um, that word nations uh, in uh, the Bible, it, you know, we think of a country like France or China, but it describes a people group. The, the Greek word is ethnos, uh, and the smart people who study, you know, this stuff around the world tell us there's about 12,000 of those ethnos in the world, people groups. Uh, they share common language, history, heritage, culture, about 12,000 of them, and there are only a few hundred left with no Christian witness, um, where no one has ever been to declare the, the gospel. And our mission, the fund, is to, um, as quickly as possible, drive toward the place where there are missionaries, believers, disciples in every every people group, not just almost every everyone. And at the pace things are going, as you mentioned, I'm persuaded by God's grace that we are very close to that finish line, that mm. um, by the end of next year we can be at it or, or very, very close to it. Wow. So that's what I get to do every day, and let me tell you, it's the best job I've ever had. It's so much fun. It's such a great blessing. But there's also a promise attached to the completion of that task. It's in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14. Jesus' disciples have asked him at the beginning of that chapter, when are you coming back? Um, and he gives them a lot of things that have to happen between the question and the, and the fulfillment. But in verse 14, he says, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Mm. There's the title of the book, and... That's really the message that um, when we have crossed this Great Commission finish line, when we have completed the task that Jesus gave us to do, we will, I think, for the first time in history, have opened the door to the return of, of Christ. And sadly, most people I talk to about this really don't have any clue about this. They, they don't know what a nation means. They don't know how many there are. They don't know how close we are to the finish line. They aren't aware of the amazing things the Spirit is doing around the world, and they're not really aware of the promise of Matthew twenty four fourteen. And mm. that's 
the reason for the book, you know, to help people understand that we live in probably the most amazing time since Jesus walked the earth. That's fascinating. Um, in light of the fact of everything that's happened, particularly in the last couple years, we can definitely see the just the every the, so many different signs coming together. I mean, there's divisions among people. Some people's hearts are growing cold. We've got evil being called good, good being called evil. We've got end time signs like we've never uh, pandemics and pestilences and and earthquakes. All these things that Matthew 24 uh, talks about to some degree and. I love that the title of the book is in it of itself. It gives people hope because in all that we're going through, not just here, but around the world, we've got brothers and sisters in Christ that are being persecuted severely for their faith. Mm -hmm. But then the end will come and Jesus is returning. Um, Just your thoughts on that, that just just that idea of his return and the end. It should not be a dreadful thought for Christians, for true believers in Christ. This should be hopeful, but we've got to get through these trying times first, don't we? Absolutely. Um, You know, there's plenty to be discouraged about these (laughs) days in the West. Um, Politics, culture, uh, you know, things that we're we're really kind of, our our heads are spinning because things are happening, changing so quickly. It's, It's very disorienting. It's very discouraging. And you know, one of the purposes of the book is to help people uh, understand that these things that we're seeing, I, I believe, to be biblically required. Um, they are, you know, biblically prophesied characteristics of the, the days before Jesus' return, so we should expect them, and we should look past them um, to the amazing things that are coming on the other side. You know, we may have a couple of hard years here, a few hard years, um, certainly nothing that our brothers and sisters haven't experienced across the world throughout history, but Mm -hmm. it may be tough, but amazing, beautiful things are on the other side of that. So, you know, as you were doing the intro, I was thinking about a verse that I've been trying to actualize in my life, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, where Paul says, therefore we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, and what is unseen is eternal. Amen. And, and, you know, I think part of the purpose of the book is to help people maybe move their eyes a little bit from the chaos they see around them today, the things that are seen, uh, to the things that are coming as yet unseen, but but nonetheless very real. Hmm. Um, Doug, before we go further, um, I didn't allow you an opportunity to share with us a little bit about your background and how you came to write this book after, uh, before we got on the air, we were saying uh, years ago, decades ago, you'd written uh, some books, and then all of a sudden now you came out with this one. Well, tell us a little bit about your background and that brought you to writing again. Sure, happy to do that. I'm married to Gina for 40 years. Um, she is a Bible study fellowship teaching leader, so for mm. your listeners who know BSF, that yes. means I'm married to a colonel in the Special Forces, <laughs> and uh, she, she's an amazing woman, a great Bible uh, student and a great teacher. We have three kids uh, who are grown and two grandchildren who are terrific. Um, my career has been in entrepreneurship and startups. Uh, as you mentioned, had a company a long time ago, back in the 80s and early 90s, that published books and newsletters about desktop software. That was back in the dim, distant days when nobody understood that stuff, and we helped people learn how to use their their uh, desktop computers better. And have had a variety of other entrepreneurial um, adventures along the way, starting companies or being on boards or investing in them. And 
so my career has been, you know, in business. Um, I've been an elder at my church here in Louisville for um, off and on for close to 20 years and have been a, a Sunday school teacher, adult Sunday school for now 21 years. So, mm, you know, wow. a lot of immersion in the Bible. Um, the, the book really, you know, emerged because my, you know, I, I told you the beginning part, you know, sort of understanding this promise of Matthew twenty four fourteen, and then I started sort of nerding through the scriptures saying, are there any other clues that might, you know, in, reinforce the promise of Matthew twenty four fourteen that might substantiate it? And kind of was amazed to find that there are a number of other clues that seem to point to a similar, you know, time sometime between now and maybe 2033 is the um, likely time for the return of, of Christ. We don't try to pick a date in the book. I don't think that's what we're supposed to do scripturally, but, right. you know, we can understand the season, and it feels to me like all of these clues point to the fact that we're living in, in that season. So you mentioned clues in the book about Jesus' return mm-hmm. when the end will come. Of the ten clues in the book, what was the most important or shocking uh, clue for you to realize? I think for most people— the clue that's the most amazing, the one that they probably haven't heard much about, is the, the completion of the Great Commission, the, the, the very first one. Hmm. Um, you know, lots of people uh, have written books trying to decipher the mysteries of Matthew 24, the book of Revelation, but you don't find much in there about, um, you know, the Great Commission. There doesn't seem to be much crossover between the kind of missionary Great Commission world and the you know, the eschatological world. They, they they understand the clue, but they don't really understand where we are in the process. So I think for most people, that's going to be a real eye-opener. Um, but there are others in there, too, that I, I think are pretty, pretty amazing. Um, the second one we talk about in the book is one that probably a few, fair number of people do understand, and that is the regathering of the nation of Israel and the promise biblically that the generation that uh, witnessed that would not pass away before the um, the return of Christ, and so you know we that's sort of a piece of history that we're watching lived out in front of us in in real time. Mm-hmm. Uh- there are a lot of opinions when it comes to the timing of the end times, and you just mentioned that uh, obviously date setting is not what we want to do. That's Plus, that's not biblical, and we are warned against that. But according to your research and studies, to be within our lifetime, as far as Jesus' return and the end, now then the end will come, can you explain how the numbers might add up from what you've researched? Well, um, So let's start with the Great Commission part of it. Um, I think that we are within a year or two of seeing the first believers in the last people groups. Um, If you've ever built a house, you know that you you have a punch list when you're done, and that can go on for a while. There may be a few groups that we're still working on for a couple of years, but we're very close. We're very close to that finish line. And even if you think about other finish lines for the Great Commission, like the scripture translated into every language or a church being planted in every village. Those are other two other key goals. Even in those two, um, the furthest uh, deadline that I'm aware of is 2033. So, you know, those things are all within a few years, a decade or so of being, being accomplished. Um, there are other signs that seem to point to the same timeline. For instance, there's a a prophecy in Hosea chapter 5 and Hosea chapter 6, where uh, 
it's poetic language. The God is speaking and talks about, you know, withdrawing from his people Israel for two days that he will uh, depart from them. And then he will return uh, on the third day to live in their presence. And in the you know biblical understanding that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day, that Hosea 5 and 6 passage seems to put some pretty important significance on the 2,000-year anniversary of the um, crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. Possibly we should tie that prophecy to the 70 AD destruction of Jerusalem. I, you know, I'm not going to argue with someone who would make that point, but I think it's um, more likely tied to the the actual um, you know events of the the Holy Week, and so uh, we're living right there. You know, you hardly hear anybody talk about it, but mm-hmm. yes. you know, the crucifixion was somewhere between probably 28 A.D. and 33 A.D. Different people have yes. their preferred year for that, but. Um, you know, so we're within what seven to ten, twelve years of the the anniversary of that, and I think the Bible indicates that that's a pretty big deal. Yeah, I think so too. Um, yeah. We before I don't want to be too redundant. We've got to take a break in in like two and a half minutes. Um, sure. You you say uh, sadly the tr- and by the way, one reason that a lot of people aren't talking about this or aren't thinking about this, a lot of churches avoid Bible prophecy and end times events and theology, and that's for a whole other conversation that we've had often on this podcast. But you say, sadly, the Church in the West is largely unaware of the remarkable events taking place around us. As a result, we are discouraged by the chaos and decline we see around us, rather than seeing those things as necessary precursors to the wonderful things soon to come. So you say we should be joyful and excited. So in the last two minutes of this this uh, segment, would you please encourage our listeners that we've got to flip our our thinking and our attitudes toward, yes, we're looking forward to the blessed hope. You know, I was just teaching yesterday um, in Luke chapter 18, uh, at the beginning of that chapter, where Jesus is teaching about perseverance in prayer. Mm. And he says at the end of the passage there, verse 8, I think, he says, but will the Lord find faith on earth when he returns, what he's saying is, you know, this promise of his return is something that he has wanted his people to be eager for from the very beginning, uh, from that first generation of of followers. And, you know, to be praying for that and to be trusting in the promises that he's given us to be enduring through the hard things. And, you know, many, many of our brothers and sisters throughout history have had to endure much, much more difficult things than than we've been through, probably more difficult than we will go through. It's hard to know, but it's been, you know, for many people, it's been tough. But God has prepared such amazing things mm. for the people who love him. Yes. So amazing, in fact, that, you know, the scripture says that you can't even imagine how good they will be. Whatever you imagine heaven will be like, whatever you imagine eternity with God will be like, it's going to be beyond that, because he says you can't even can't even imagine it. And we need to be sustained by those promises and encouraged by them. We want to be looking forward to them and preparing ourselves for them so that we do have the strength to endure what probably is going to be a a very difficult couple of years between now and the time he he returns. Mm, Amen. We're speaking with author Douglas Cobb, and the book is called 
and then the end will come. When we come back, we're going to ask him about Israel. Is that an important clue? And also about the book of Revelation and uh, how we need to view the end times a little differently than maybe we have been in the West here. Um, Thank you so much for tuning in. A whole lot more with Doug Cobb on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. We're with author Doug Cobb, and the book is And Then the End Will Come, doing very well on Amazon, a lot of five-star reviews. Kudos, Doug. And um, I'm looking at the table of contents here. Uh, You have part one, part two, part three. In part two, which is the bulk, the meat of the book, chapters 3 through 10, there's one that really jumps out at me, and that is the abomination. Because are you talking about the ones they're describing in Thessalonians and Revelation and the temple? And so share with us that clue as far as the end coming. That's probably the most complicated chapter in the book <laughs> and hard to do on, on radio. But um, Let's go there. <laughs> you know, we, many people have heard the... Um, the, the the idea of the abomination of desolation mm-hmm. it shows up a number of places in the scripture. One thing that a lot of people don't know is that that prophecy actually uh, covers several different events. There are multiple fulfillments of that prophecy in the in the scriptures, and so it's not one thing. It's a cluster of things, a group of things that are similarly desecrating to the holy side of the of the temple. And as I was researching the book, uh, I was led to some very interesting thinking about a prophecy that shows up at the very end of the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 12, that whole chapter, that, that chapter's like the, the revelation of the Old Testament. It talks about the, the, the resurrection. It talks about um, some of the events surrounding the, the end times. And then in verses 11 and 12, there's a very obscure prophecy about 1,290 days and 1,335 days. And mm. I, I've taught the book of Daniel three times. I've got all the commentaries on it. Nobody has a clue what that means. When you, if you read the commentaries, they'll, they'll try to link it to some other numbers and other places. But really, you can tell that it's just a mystery. Mm-hmm. But the uh, this the book presents an argument that that actually points to the um, the dome of the rock, which is the Muslim shrine that sits on the site. We, most people think on the site of the ancient temple mm-hmm. points to that actual structure as the, as a fulfillment of this prophecy of the um, of the abomination. Then it's sitting there right now. You know, if you've been to Jerusalem. You can't miss it. It's a uh, you know it, it really stands out above the the city, and mm-hmm. there is a uh, if you do the math, uh, the time that passed between the Babylonian exile and the erection of the dome was twelve hundred and ninety years, and then if you take the thirteen hundred and thirty five years from that time to uh, and add, 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 you come up with a date in the late twenty twenties. Um, and we, you know, in the book, we say, could that be another clue that the return of Jesus will actually be, uh, you know, again in this this time time frame? It's complicated. We try to explain all the twists and turns. A lot of problem. It's very prophetic. It's it's mysterious. But 
I think I hope we do a good job in the book of, of explaining it so people can understand it. Well, the subtitle, I just want to emphasize that again, the completion of the Great Commission, and that's, that's our part, <laughs> Christians around the world, yep. and nine other biblical clues that Jesus is returning soon. Um, we, we mentioned or touched on Revelation, but uh, notice in your book you don't really discuss Revelation uh, a lot until the end or close to the end of the book. And uh, why is that? Because a lot of people think Bible prophecy, the end times, Jesus returning, they always point to Revelation. So uh, what, what well, is your— Revelation is a great—yeah, it's a great book, and obviously, uh, you know, plenty of good, good uh, authors have written good books about that topic. Mm-hmm. Really, the things I'm focused on are things that, for the most part, are precedent to the things that Revelation talks about. So I'm kind of looking for clues elsewhere in Bible prophecy that the things that are talked about in Revelation are, you know, soon to soon to come. Once many of those things in Revelation begin, we'll know we're living in the day of the Lord's return. There won't be any doubt about that. Um, And so, you know, those things really by that time it'll be it'll be really clear. But I think there's other prophecies that give us the understanding that those things may be about to to begin. Now, one thing we do in the book is, especially in the last chapter, chapter 12, we look at what Revelation, the the last books of Revelation, promise for God's people uh, in eternity, you know, what the new heaven and the new earth will be like, the new Jerusalem the promise of these new bodies that we will receive, that, that's not so much in Revelation, but nonetheless, that promise, the, the promise that we'll see God face-to-face, that we'll live with Him and serve Him forever, that um, there'll be no more death and no more crying, no more tears. God mm. will wipe away every tear. These just you know, promise after promise that yes. God has given us as things to look forward to in, the, in, the, in eternity, they're so amazing. They're so beautiful. And I think they have inspirational power for people who are, as we've said, struggling with what we see around us in, in our culture today. Yes. Um, let's jump over to Israel and talk about that a little bit. Obviously, um, God's eyes on Israel, our eyes should be on Israel as well. But boy, in the West, we sure don't hear a lot as far as the news and, and almost anything at all about what's going on. You really have to look for sources uh, to find out what's happening in Israel. But why is Israel such an important clue in what has happened recently that signals the second coming or could signal the second coming? Well, j- just the fact that the modern state of Israel exists is an astounding a miracle. miracle. Yep. Uh, yeah. there, there's no other example that you can find of a, of a people who have been forcibly evicted from their native land and then persecuted for century upon century and then and and have held together as a people just held together is one part and not be assimilated but but then for that people to be regathered into their ancestral homeland there's just no there's no precedent to it there's no nothing you can point to that's that's similar or parallel but when you look at the scriptures and you see that all the way back in the book of Deuteronomy uh before the, the Israelites had even entered the promised land God had already promised first that he would scatter them because of their disobedience, and then second, that he would regather them in Deuteronomy 30. The promises, I mean, the 3,500 years before these things happened, God had already prophesied that they would take place. And so I think just the existence of Israel as a modern nation is one of the most powerful apologetics for the, the existence of God and the truth of the Scriptures. 
there it is. He said it would happen. Here, you know, there, there it is. How else do you, do you explain it? But then, on top of all of that, Jesus uh, pointed to the regathering of Israel as a sign of his return. He, he, he did it in poetic language. He spoke about the, the greening of the fig tree, mm-hmm. the fig tree being a biblical symbol for the nation of Israel. And he said that, you know, the generation that sees those things happen, that sees the nation of Israel established, uh, would not pass away before uh, the fulfillment of the prophecies of Matthew chapter 24. And so I, I think we're on a, a clock. Mm-hmm. Uh, Israel was, was established in, the, you know, in 1948. We're now 70, what, three years subsequent to that. I'm not sure what a generation is. I think you could pick several numbers. There's several different ways to think about that. But uh, 73 years is getting on, right? And so it, whether we're there yet or, or close, I think um, you know it's likely that um, it's another sign that, uh, that these prophecies are going to be fulfilled in the next few years. Amen. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. Um, briefly, want to ask you about uh, the prophecies of Daniel 12. Um, I don't see, like, as far as in the um, table of contents, the titles of the chapters, uh, anything that, yep. that would give an idea of where that's at in the book. And I'm sure you've uh, addressed it, or am I mistaken? No, we have. Uh, we talked about Daniel chapter 12, verses 11 and 12. That's a whole chapter in the book. And then there's a, another very interesting prophecy in Daniel 12, verse 4. It's easy to miss if you're kind of, you know, speed reading through the book. Um, <laughs> At the, as the angel is talking to Daniel and describing the time of the end, he, he just kind of throws out these two little things. He says, uh, knowledge will increase and people will go here and there. Different translations handle it different different ways. But um, the the idea is that the time of the end will be a time of, of, of huge and increasing human knowledge mm-hmm. and rapidly increasing human travel. And um, again... Both things enormously characteristic of our of our time. You know, um, there are people now who think that the the body of human knowledge is doubling every week or so. Some might say even every few days. Where the curve of human knowledge is basically a a vertical line now, mm-hmm, uh, yes. just doubling it at an inc- incredible rate. And not only is it is that true, but the vast majority of that data is available to everybody on the planet as a result of the the internet. We we live in an information age like no one could could have imagined. And then um, if you think about travel, it's easy to forget that until uh, 200 years ago, the fastest anybody had ever traveled was the fast the speed of a galloping horse. You know, it, it that was pretty fast, and you couldn't go very far on a galloping horse, but. Then you have trains and speeds increase to 60 or 80 miles an hour, and then airplanes come along, DC-3s in the 30s, you're going 200 miles an hour. Now we take for granted that we can fly at you know five or 600 miles an hour and that we can cross oceans in a night, that trips that would have taken months, even 150 years ago, can now be completed in hours. Uh, travel has increased at a rate that it's hard to imagine over the last, um, you know, couple of hundred years. And so again, you know, it's easy to miss, but two very clear signs describing the days in which we are living as a, you know, literally fulfilling those, that biblical prophecy. Mm. So much more uh, to discuss, but I'll just keep it uh, a few more questions here. 
Um, what do you think about eclipses and like natural uh, events, astronomical events? Is there a connection between these and the second coming of Christ? Well, the, I think the right answer to that would be yes and no. Um, <laughs> Jesus, it's, it's very clear that at the very end of the uh, tribulation period, there will be signs in the heavens that will immediately precede the return of, of Christ. Mm-hmm. But in general, I think Jesus is telling us in the, in the Olivet Discourse chapters, Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, that those things are going to be common throughout human history, and we shouldn't kind of freak out every time there's an eclipse or a meteor shower or a comet appears in the heavens. Um, you know, both pagan and Christian cultures have tended to view things like that as signs of his return. In Matthew, he describes them as the beginnings of the birth pangs. In other words, they're sort of preliminary to his return, but not specifically tied uh, to it. And so I, I think um, you know, a lot of people have strong opinions about this, and people have invested a lot of energy in trying to link certain events in the heavens with the return. Maybe that's possible. I couldn't figure that out <laughs> in my, my research. Uh, I think these other clues probably are more um, uh, significant than maybe some of the some of the signs in heaven. And you're a businessman, and you're so you're probably very good with math. And if you couldn't figure it out, that's probably not some, <laughs> something that we shouldn't uh, you know spend a whole lot of time trying to to uh, to to come to terms with and, and just try to get an answer. But um, so is this book for all Christians, even if they have differing views? of the end times, the timing of it? I hope that that's true. Um, my pastor and I actually have different views about eschatology. He hmm. yields to a different view than I do, okay. and he was one of the first readers of the manuscript, and one of his comments back to me was, I really like the fact that, you know, you're not trying to make, you know, pick a fight about the order of events in the end time. For the most part, these clues are true no matter what view of the order of events in the end time. Uh, you would have, and I, I think will be encouraging um, to folks, no matter which point of view they they might have. Well, praise God. I mean, like we said earlier, just the title itself. We have to be reminded with everything that's going on in our country, our culture, around the world, breaking news, which because of the internet, we have instant access to, which can overwhelm us. The end will come, but that is good news because we're really looking forward to the return of Christ, and so we can't wait to be with him. That's our hope. But um, last question, and then I'll let, let you share where the book can be purchased. Um, if Jesus is returning, if it could be in our lifetime, with all that's going on, what do Christians need to do to be prepared or better prepared? And I think that that's a sobering question and mm-hmm. something that you know we want to take seriously. If, if that's true, that he's coming back, we want to be prepared. Fortunately, the Bible gives us good counsel about how we should do that. There's a number of things that encourages us to do to uh, to stand firm, you know, to be prepared for His return, to to stand together. Let's not forsake meeting together, and all the more as we see the end drawing near, we want to be as closely connected as we can to our brothers and and sisters. Uh, we want to be self-controlled and sober-minded. A verse that I've kind of adopted is my personal theme verses from Second Peter chapter 3. Peter talks in the beginning of that chapter about the coming judgment, and then in verses 11 and 12 he says, well, since everything is going to be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought we to be? And he answers this way, he says, we should live holy and godly lives, mm. 
looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So let's break that down. Holy means set apart, distinctive in a culture that's increasingly going down the drain. We want to stand out and be distinct and separate from the the culture. Godly means more and more like Jesus, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. These are the things we want more and more to be characteristic of us. Mm. Looking for the day, we want to be excited and eager um, about his return, excited about the prospect that ours could be the generation to see that thing that people have been looking forward to for for 2,000 years. And then the last bit, uh, speeding its coming or hastening its coming, that's kind of the mystery. How do we do that? Right? Exactly. Doesn't God already know when that day is going to be? <laughs> and in my mind, that circles back to where we began the, the conversation. Jesus said, finish this task, and then I'll come back. And so the one thing, it seems to me, clearly that we can do to speed his coming, to hasten it, is to speed the completion of that that work. That's what we are trying to do through the finishing fund. But really, anyone can have a role in that. Everyone can pray for it. Um, many people can afford to give uh, to support that work. For some people, it might mean even going and becoming part of the the effort vocationally. But you know, I think the command is to all of us that we want to be part of seeing that work completed and opening the the door to, to the return of Christ. Amen. Um, Doug Cobb, you have a separate Facebook page for the book. You also have a website uh, for the book, and I know it's on Amazon and, and Barnes & Noble. What, what The first or second place, the two best places people can get information about you and the new book? Probably the best place would just be to go to the book's website, and then the end will come dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from there, you can get to the Twitter and the Facebook and Amazon and the other retailers where it's available. Plus, we're starting to put some more resources up on that site. There's going to be a leader's guide and a study guide for the book within the next few weeks. And, um, you know, so that's really kind of the, the central place to, to go. So one word and then the end will come dot com. Excellent website. Very well put together and uh, just very professional looking. You've got a video there introducing it on the front page. So, uh, Douglas Cobb, thank you for writing the book. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today on Stand Up For The Truth. God bless you. David, great to be with you. Thank you so much. You're most welcome. All right, when we come back, we are going to touch on what's happening all around us, and that would be the pride explosion. You're going, wow, I thought pride was not a good thing. Well, we'll talk about what God thinks about that and some recent stories when we come back in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Okay, friends, before we get into a couple of these articles, there's a couple really good news uh, before we get into the, the pride stuff. Um, I just have to be honest with you. I've probably not felt so beat up, um, probably emotionally, spiritually, in so many different ways, and the warfare is nonstop. And I just could really use your prayers. Um, when you, whenever you're trying to do a work for God, of course, there's going to be opposition. We know that. We know that's. We we are not unaware of the enemy's schemes. But so I've been just so potentially discouraged and frustrated because of the rollout of the book canceling Christianity, and um, I, I just get tired. I think it's tedious for me to keep bringing it up here. But you're kind of my friends and family in Christ, and my kind of my support system. Um, and so I'm just opening my heart up to you right now and just saying if there, if you have any suggestions on what we could do to try to get the word out about the book, just email comments 
at standupforthetruth.com. If you're local, if you're, you're a friend, if we've been in touch, just text me or get a hold of me. Um, and I just want to thank some ministry partners that have really been a blessing because, to be honest, I, I don't have a marketing department. I don't have a publicist. I don't, it's not a big—I'm a self-published author, but I did hire a publishing company to do the book, so it's not like I'm with this big company that's going to get me all these interviews. But I've already been interviewed by Heidi St. John. That's the one I mentioned earlier that you can't find because it's been um, censored, but it's on her website. Alex Newman, that's going to come out this week. He interviewed me last week. And these are Stand Up For The Truth guests. Um, Chad Davison, Good Fight Radio, Pastor Joe Schimmel. He was out of town, but Chad Davison interviewed me. That's going to come up this week. Um, Good Fight Radio, Good Fight Network. Jan Markell, what a blessing. She's already got the book in her store at olivetreeviews.org. But next Friday, Saturday, Sunday, I'm going to be on Understanding the Times Radio with Jan Markell, and she's been such a blessing, and I'm just so thankful. Other guests from Stand Up For The Truth have ordered cases of books, um, and I don't want to get into everybody, but if your church has a bookstore, and if, <laughs> if your pastor preaches the whole counsel of God, if your church is one that has sound doctrine and, and goes through the Bible, um, and also is talking about cultural things and, you know, political issues and social, quote, issues, which like a lot of people call political. If he, or, if he would be open or if there's a secretary at your church that's a gatekeeper, if you have a bigger church, can't get a hold of your pastor, go to her. Go to your, the secretary and say, hey, we've got a, a friend who's an author of a new Christian book. We're wondering if, we, if the bookstore here at the church would be interested. So it's hard for me to do this, guys, but I have no one that represents me. No one. I don't have, a, like I said, a publicist. I'm kind of doing all this on my own. So forgive me for taking so much time out of this podcast to do that. Um, but good news. Um, we've talked a lot about big tech and uh, th- there's, they are powerful and there is no accountability. Well, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is trying to do something about that. He's uh, trying to move legislation that would hold big tech accountable. And so he signed a bill, Senate Bill 7072, to hold him accountable, at least in Florida. If we can get these governors in conservative states or Republican governors uh, to try to move on some of this, and, of course, legislators— these are the lesser magistrates. These are the ones that have to hold those above us and count accountable. So kudos to Ron DeSantis. So many things that he's been doing in Florida. I'm going, man, um, I know that's not a perfect state, and I know they've got their problems, but what a great governor. Um, next good news story, a ratings crash for CNN. That's right. They fell out of cable's top five networks in prime time. Wah, wah. Well, Anyway, it's bad news, the ratings for CNN, and I wonder why. Uh, because they can't really hammer Trump as much as they used to. They're not, they, they're not the hate Trump 24-7 network because he's not the president. Um, so Biden's president, and they don't want to report on him. <laughs> so <laughs> for obvious reasons. So anyway, CNN's ratings crash is some good news. Now, pride. Let me just share this um, Scripture, Proverbs 16, 18, it says, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's a big problem in our country, friends, when we are just going along 
with this promotion of the perverse. Did you know that child abuse and molestations and child trafficking, human trafficking, pedophilia, did you know all these things are increasing rather than decreasing? And do you ever wonder why? Does Hollywood have anything to do with that? Does this promotion of this hypersexualized do whatever feels good and this moral relativistic garbage that they're they're forcing on kids? Did you ever think that has something to do with this? Yes, it does. Well, there's an article, The Left's Urgent Mission to Sexualize Children. I'm not sure if it's urgent because they've been doing it for decades. But as Pride Month began um, less, just about a week ago, in June, um, the these signs are all around us. They're predators going after our kids, and they're using technology, they're using social media, and it's actually very disturbing what's happening. If you're not paying attention, you're going, what? What are you talking about? Well, I, I don't have the time. We could do a whole show on that. But let's just talk about some Hollywood celebrities, shall we? Hollywood celebrities. Um, let's just talk about someone that's very famous and that uh, is a role model to millions of young people, especially girls. Uh, let's talk about Taylor Swift. Well, uh, you know, she's always voiced her support in the last five plus years for progressive causes, for liberalism, for the Democrat Party. She's, you know, came out and campaigned for Joe Biden. Well, she teamed up with GLAAD. Um, what is it? Gay and lesbian, uh, something against uh, defamation or whatever, um, to push the Democrat-backed Equality Act. You know, if you've been listening to this podcast any length of time or any other conservative reports on the Equality Act, it is actually the opposite of equality. Um, it's dangerous. And it's, it's a discriminatory act that's going to give special rights, not equal rights, to those who would identify in the LGBTQIAEIEIO. Now, this, you know, so we're in Pride Month, and so Taylor Swift is teaming up with GLAD's Summer of Equality initiative to push for the passage of Nancy Pelosi's pet project, the Equality Act, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, are completely on board with and want to ram through so they can continue to, to even take their discrimination against Christians and those who hold to a biblical worldview further, as if they're not already. Um, anyway, I won't go down that road. But so there's just an article I pulled up, and there's many others. Many other celebrities are all behind this. Some of, Did you know that some celebrities, and, and we could list them here, but that would be too tedious, are grow, raising their kids, letting their son or daughter decide, children decide whatever, whatever gender they want to identify as. That's how some Hollywood celebrities are raising their kids. So um, it's Pride Month, and it's like you're thinking, wow, is there a sin for adultery month? Is there a sin for um, uh, fornication month? How about liars? <laughs> Lying month. How about murder? How about uh, um, taking God's name in vain? Uh, there should be a, you know, are they going to have a month for every sin? You know, I mean, this is just ridiculous if you think about it. You know how God feels about pride. Uh, search the scriptures on how God looks at the pride of man. I, I think of the Tower of, of Babel, right, in Genesis chapter 11. They said, they, if we build this tower, there's nothing that we can't do as human beings. Did you know that was the first push toward globalism? They had one common language. Oh, I've got a great quote. I've got to share this with you. 
I was going to hold this off for another time, but I just really have to share this quote with you. I think I got this from Dr. Andy Woods. Um, Josephus wrote this. He was a, a, a Jewish historian. In Antiquities, Josephus said this. Now, this is about the, the Tower of Babel. He, Nimrod, persuaded them to attribute their prosperity not to God, but to their own valor, and little by little transformed the state of affairs into tyranny, holding that the only way to detach men from the fear of God was by making them continuously dependent upon his power. Nimrod, right? He threatened to have his revenge on God if he wished to inundate the earth again. He would build a tower higher than the water could reach and avenge the destruction of their forefathers. In other words, we're going to build this Tower of Babel. This is Josephus writing, the Jewish historian, who also wrote about uh, Jesus and Christianity a bit. Um, So isn't that fascinating, though? He's talking about Nimrod. And what is our government doing? They want us to rely on the government. They want the state to be God. They don't want us to think of the one true living God as sovereign over all things, the one who gives us our rights. Our own government wants us to believe that rights come from government, not from God. I thought that was interesting as it relates to the Tower of Babel. Someone call it Babel. But so this is what's going on, friends, uh, pride. And one other thing, well, I only have a few more minutes left. There's very disturbing news stories coming out. And I don't know what the heck is going on, but they got Tony the Tiger. They got Snap, Crackle, Pop, Toucan Sam, a little frosted mini wheat. They're waving the LGBT rainbow flag and uh, a new breakfast cereal. I don't know if you've heard of, of Kellogg's putting together one called, quote, Together. It's a cereal there. It's a promotion with GLAD, um, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, I believe that stands for. But uh, it's just amazing, all these other things, NFL teams with the, with the Pride logo because happy Pride Month, right? Um so, but this one over here, of course, we've heard about the gay, uh, I'm sorry, the pride flag being on the same flagpole at U.S. embassies, which is, wow, what a slap in the face to those who fought for our freedoms and believe in one nation under God and the, con- the Constitution. But I want to point you to something over going on in the Catholic Church. What the heck is happening in Rome uh, at the Vatican in the Catholic Church over the last couple decades. What a transformation into godlessness and pro- progressivism and, and globalism. But now I'm looking at, there's a picture of the pride flag at an embassy where the over there uh, at the Vatican. Um, and then I'm looking at this here, Catholic priests draping the rainbow flag over the altar during, quote, pride masses. This is going on in churches, friends. And, and if you're going to some of these churches, why do you just go in and just say, oh, okay, so they're doing this? Why do you look the other way? If you believe the Bible, why are you Christian? If you go by that name, if you claim the name of Christ, why are we, some of us, looking the other way in your own church if they're doing some of these things? So... I think that I just found a topic to write about for my weekly article. But wow. So, I mean, you can't get away from it. You go on, you know, Google and others. They got the rainbow. They're celebrating, you know, LGBT pride. It's everywhere. 
Um, so just be cautious that this is indoctrination. And as I started off this segment talking about the left being um, focused on sexualizing children, we've known that since the 1960s in the public schools. We've known this is part of their agenda. Now they're using the culture and corporations to do this, to further this agenda. Beware and beware of what your kids are watching or listening to. And we've got to start boycotting some of these companies. And we've got to boycott, meaning buy support from companies who are not all in for this sexual revolution and moral relativism and that they call Pride Month. Just a little encouragement and advice, um, unsolicited maybe. <laughs> anyway, busy week coming up. When we come back, we'll let you know who's our guests, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, tomorrow, get ready. It's J.B. Hickson, not by Works Ministries. He just was at a conference a week or so ago in Tulsa. Actually, he's in California. He's been really busy, so we're thankful that he can take the time with us to be our guest on tomorrow's podcast, JB. God bless you, brother. We've got uh, Steve Smotherman uh, Wednesday. Wait a minute. Yes. And then we've been working with the schedule. Jason Jimenez of Stand Strong Ministries. Love that young brother. He's going to be with us on Thursday. And Dr. Rick Scarborough on Friday. John Haller next Monday. Natasha Crane. Can't wait to get her on. She's not scheduled next Tuesday. I'm jumping ahead, I know. But I'm just excited about some of these guests. I, I get so encouraged, and I get, um, wow, I just learn a lot from almost every single guest we have. In fact, I probably do learn from all of them. I hope you do, too, and I hope you're thankful. Um, so thank you. Oh, by the way, local friends, I keep forgetting. Um, Calvary Chapel Appleton has a little bookstore. They've got my books there if you're in the Fox Cities. If you're in Green Bay, De Pere area, um, Lighthouse Christian Store carries Canceling Christianity. Otherwise, online, you can get it. Uh, Jan Markell, Good Fight Radio, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and others uh, so others that I'm even not even aware of. So thank you guys for your support, your prayers especially. And it's just a day at a time, friends. Let's keep fighting the good fight of faith. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.